We all have uh, interesting and unique stories of how we were called and how we came into the church. I was uh, mystified by the book of Revelation, and so when I heard Mr. Armstrong talk about the book of Revelation, and I ordered the two copies, the key to the book of Revelation and the book of Revelation unveiled at last, uh, it opened my mind to the future of the world and God's plan of salvation, ending up with Christ coming back and ruling the whole world as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So I thought, oh, my my Protestant pastor will be excited to learn this. I'm going to bring it to him. And I took him the booklet on the true history of the true church, and I asked him to, to read these booklets. And he said, well, I'll, I'll read them if you, Dick, uh, read this commentary, Jameson Fawcett, Fawcett Brown on the book of Revelation. Well, I procrastinated, but I finally opened it up to uh, the section on Revelation 6, and it said, the first horseman of the apocalypse is representative of Christ. Well, that was wrong. Of course, it's a false Christ, so I didn't need to read any more in the commentary. So I I wanted my booklets back, and I went back to uh, my Protestant pastor and and said, uh, well, what did you think about what you've read? Here, the book of Revelation is talking about World War III, talking about the coming kingdom of God and all the amazing prophetic events. He said, well, it's uh, all very interesting, but it leaves out the poetry. What? It leaves out the poetry. He was referring to the apocalyptic literature and symbolism of uh, the book of Revelation. He was more interested in the symbolism in a language and poetical way than the reality of God's revelation. So God brought me along, and I I won't tell my whole story, but, uh, you know, I had the booklet uh, there in my home. I was going to Yale University at the time in the spring of 61 and had the booklet, Easter (laughs) Easter is Pagan. Of course, I had it on the on the uh, coffee table, I don't think my parents, uh, I was living with my parents at the time, commuting from Meriden, Connecticut to New Haven, where I was going to graduate school. Uh, but Easter was pagan, I don't think was appreciated much by my parents. But we all have our different stories of how God called us. And we know that, as we sang actually in the hymn this morning, uh, this afternoon, First uh, Corinthians 1. So if you'll turn there, to 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and uh, verse 26. 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 26. We sang the refrain, Sons of God, you are called. It was we sang in the hymnal. 1 Corinthians 2, uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren. And we want to emphasize that in the sermon today. Do you see your calling? That not many wise men according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Well, there are not too many uh, presidents, prime ministers, statesmen, scientists. Uh, There are few that are very skilled that have been called into God's church and have uh, exciting professional uh, background and experience. But not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are mighty. 
and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Yes, God has chosen. Chosen you. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. So God is called the weak of the world. So why were you called? And why did God call you? And how will you fulfill your calling? You know, you might do a little uh, uh, mathematic exercise, and, uh, and we have about 3.7 billion people on the face of the earth, and if we take a generous uh, calling, which I don't believe is the case, but if you, even if we said there were 380,000 people who uh, were called and ha- have an understanding today out of 3.8 million, that would be one out of 100,000. You are special, more special, in that calling that God has given you than 100,000 other people on the face of the earth, if the math is correct. You can correct me on that later on. But God is special. We have several uh, sermons on, uh, on calling. We have a sermon, Seven Keys to Make Your Calling and Election Sure, by Jim Meredith. Uh, Dr. Fall, our first fruit calling. Uh, Dr. Doug Winnale, Seven Reasons for Your Calling, and uh, one that I gave, Character, Fulfill Your Calling. Now, I just discovered something I think will be, uh, and to me, somewhat exciting, and I just discovered it uh, today or last night. And that is, when I mention sermons here as a reference, if you have access to your smartphone and Google and Mr. Senna gave me a different one, something about Duck uh, website, uh, and he tried it. I said, go on your website and, and say, Living Church of God Sermon, Faithful to the End. So he goes on the smartphone, and what do you know? It comes up on the smart. The very sermon comes up on the smartphone. I actually did one of Dr. Scott Winnale on Living Church of God sermon, remember who you are. Here, Scott Winnell comes up in this, on my, my Android phone. So it's a new discovery for me. I, I'm just sharing that with you. I uh, hope you uh, may take advantage of it. But to me, it was just very inspiring to just go, Google, uh, seven reasons for your calling sermon, and it really comes up. The priests and uh, Levites challenged John the Baptist. They wanted to know, who are you? you know, turn to John, the first chapter. Today we're going to talk about identity and your calling, and they wanted to know who John the Baptist was. What, what was his identity? John chapter 1. He was challenged by the Levites and the priests. John 1 and uh, verse 19. Now this was the testimony. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. They asked him again, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? Of course, referring back to Deuteronomy 18.15, which was a, a prophecy about the Messiah being the prophet like unto Moses. 
Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you? That we may give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked that question about yourself. Who are you? How would you answer that question? After the sermon today, and maybe sometime later, I challenge all of you to ask one another who you are. And I think you'll be surprised at some of the answers. So we need to think about who we are as regards our calling. What is our calling? What is your identity? Because your identity reveals your calling, and your calling reveals your identity. The title for the sermon today is Your Identity and Your Calling. Your Identity and Your Calling. We already read and sang today, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But our calling is special. We have been called for a special mission. We've been called for a special purpose. The Living Church News article, I believe it was November, December 2000, by Dr. Douglas Winnell, was titled, What is a Calling from God? He wrote, Brethren, do you see your calling? Do you really understand why you are being called? Do you grasp the incredible opportunity that you've been given to be among the first fruits in God's plan? Make your calling election sure by developing the knowledge, character, and skills that God will be able to use you in the years ahead. You have been called to share an awesome reward the opportunity to play a major role in setting up the kingdom of God on this earth. Do not miss out on the special invitation God has offered to you. Now is time to ponder the question, what are you doing with your calling? Turn to Romans, the 8th chapter, Romans 8 and uh, verse 28. We have a very significant scripture regarding our calling. Romans 8 and verse 28 of a wonderful promise for all of us. We had a sermon by that title, Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So God knows who you are, and out of 100,000 people or more, he's called you for his purpose. Verse 29. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. We discussed that in the Sermon on God's Master Plan. And Mr. Dr. Meredith's booklet on your ultimate destiny, uh, he mentioned how God had that plan predestined before time began. God had that plan to call people to be a part of his royal family even before time began. And he's called us for a great and wonderful purpose. Notice back in uh, verse 23. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. So we are also first fruits of God's plan. Turn back to uh, verse 14, Romans 8. And verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, 
These are the sons of God. That's something I often pray about. I pray, Father, please lead me by your Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Yes, we are God's children. and We must be led by God's Spirit. Mr. Herbert Armstrong commented on the uniqueness of our calling in his book, Mystery of the Ages, page 229. Quote, anyone who, quote, joins the church of his choice, end of quote, has not come into God's true church. One cannot just, quote, join, end of quote, the true church of God. One is first selected and drawn by God the Father through the Spirit, brought to a complete heart-rending repentance, and changed in his total lifestyle. He has also not only believed in and accepted Jesus Christ as personal Savior, but also has believed Christ. Remember, Christ is the Word of God. Jesus was the Word of God in person. The Bible is the same Word of God in writing. To believe Christ is to believe what he says. In other words, to believe God's word, the Holy Bible. So God has given us special calling, but he's also given us special privileges. And with those privileges, of course, go responsibility. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Continuing with our calling. And this wonderful promise in Revelation, verse uh, 9, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. The Apostle Paul quotes from Isaiah. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You can't just manufacture this through materialistic knowledge. It's spiritual knowledge. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. God has given us an awesome revelation. And, of course, we have the old book. The last book of the Bible is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father gave him, and he shares that with us. So God has revealed them to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. We have a privilege of understanding Truth and God's plan that very few, relatively few people on the face of the earth understand. Why has God called you? God has called you for a purpose. He's called us to be his sons and daughters to join his royal family at the resurrection. But he's also called us to do a work, the Great Commission. So we must be putting our whole heart into fulfilling that calling and our mission and then we will ultimately inherit our ultimate destiny. What is the ultimate destiny of our calling? We've heard it many times, but let's review the goal that God has set before us and our role in the coming kingdom of God. Revelation, the fifth chapter. Revelation, the fifth chapter. Dr. Meredith referred to it as the Song of the Saints, Revelation 5. Verse 9, and they sang a new song saying, referring to the Lamb, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood 
And this wonderful comment, out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Well, God has given us a big commission, a big mission to go into all the world, to make disciples of all peoples, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Well, that's part of our calling. That's part of our purpose. But not everyone is called. And now we are in training. We're training as kings, priests, and judges for the coming kingdom of God. But not everyone now is called. I won't turn there, but you know John 6, 44. No man can come unto me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and he will, I will raise him up at the last day. In John 6, 44, repeated also in verse 65 of John 4. My turn to Matthew, the ninth chapter. Matthew 9, and realize that the invitation we have in our calling is limited. Not everyone is called. No man can come to Christ unless the Father draws him. Matthew 9 and verse 10. Matthew 9, verse 10. This is part of the answer to the question, why were you called? Now what happened is Jesus sat at the table in the house that, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Now, that would have been a shock to the Pharisees. When the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And we know that all have sinned. Romans 6.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's sorry, that's Romans 3.23. So all have sinned. We are all have been sinners, and hopefully we are not now practicing sinners. But God called you and me to repentance. That's part of the calling that God gave us. And we need to make sure, as I'll mention later, uh, that is uh, attitude we must continue until the day of di- we die. But when God calls us, he's giving us a new identity. Because when we're baptized, what happens? The old man is buried. And you come up a new person to walk in newness of life. There are two chapters. We won't turn there, but Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. They talk about the old man and the new man. And I just love that reference in Romans 6 that talks about the matter of being resurrected. And after the, resur- after the baptism, we come up from the watery grave to walk in newness of life. So God has called us to walk in newness of life. We call, we have a work to do, but we need to change ourselves as well. And ultimately, when we're walking in newness of life, we ultimately have a new persona, a new identity. And eventually, the ultimate identity is revealed to us in Revelation, the third chapter. Notice the changes that we take in our 
in our lives now, if we're faithful Christians and we're in the first resurrection, and if we are Philadelphian in spirit and attitude, what happens to our identity? Revelation, uh, the third chapter and uh, verse 12. He who overcomes, I will make a pillar of the temple of my God. And with the visiting ministers we had in the Council of Elders, it's just so encouraging to know that they are pillars. And many of you are pillars. We have pillars that are the main support. They're the servant leaders in so many congregations around the world. And we will be an intimate part of the temple of God. I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more, out no more. I will write on him... What? The name of my God. Who are you? And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God, and I will write on him my new name. We don't know what that is, but we will have that identity sometime in the future if we're faithful. A person's name identifies his or her unique character. It establishes you as a special person. Let's take a look at a couple more examples of uh, identity in the Bible. We already saw that uh, the Pharisees, or they sent the Levites and priests to ask John the Baptist, who are you? Turn to John, the 21st chapter. John, the 21st chapter. Here the disciples were fishing, and then Jesus appeared to them. This is after the resurrection. Uh, John 21, uh, verse 11. So they, of course, went out fishing after uh, up to the Sea of Galilee, and Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. John 21, verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? <laughs> they didn't ask knowing it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So they knew he was, but they did not want to ask him that question. Acts, the ninth chapter, Saul, who was persecuting true Christians, was knocked down, you know, on the road to Damascus. That story is here in Acts, the ninth chapter. Acts 9 and uh, verse 4. He was on the way to Damascus. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Acts 9 verse 5. And he said, Who are you, Lord? The Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, What do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Rise and go into the city, and it will be told you what you will do. So he asked him, Who are you? Later on in uh, Acts 19, um, when he was defending again that story, uh, let's turn to Acts 19. It's a different uh, application of identity, but in some way it's humorous, but the other on the side of the coin, it's uh, rather... Uh, a shocking story of God's power and uh, demonic power as well. 
Acts the 19th chapter, and uh, starting with verse 14. So the Apostle Paul is in that area, and people were healed from aprons or handkerchiefs from his body, verse 12 of Acts 19, but verse 14. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? These sons of Sceva tried to do the same thing that Paul was doing and exercising uh, by the name of Jesus. But uh, the demon said, who are you? We know, we know Jesus, we know Paul, uh, but who are you? Then the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Verse 17, this became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. So these sons of Sceva did not have the authority to use Christ's name in that way. We can pray, the Lord rebuke you. We have that example, of course, in Jude. So any time that you are threatened or you feel threatened by some evil spirit or a demon, you can pray that God will rebuke that spirit in the name of Christ. And God gives you that authority. You'll be thankful for it. But the sons of Sceva did not have that authority, and the demon said, who are you? It's another example. Well, let's go back to Exodus, the third chapter, Exodus 3. Because the question is a good question. You certainly can want to know the information and the identity of individuals. And you know the case when Moses was there on the mountain by the burning bush. And uh, verse 11 of uh, Exodus 3, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? God just said, said to him in verse 10, he was going to send him to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses said, well, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? I don't have the talent. I don't have the authority. Uh, my identity is such that I don't have the capabilities of doing what you're telling me to do. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So he said, I will certainly be with you. This shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. So even uh, the very mountain that uh, Moses was called, uh, where the Israelites came and heard the Ten Commandments. Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they will say, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Verse 14, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. So our identities are very important. Let's go to First uh, Chronicles 29. This is a case almost like Moses was saying, Well, who am I? I I'm not that great a person. And uh, here King David was humbly thanking God for his blessings, uh, realizing, well, he didn't have the innate talent and ability, 
First uh, Chronicles 29 and verse 14. The context here is that uh, the people had given gold and silver and all kinds of, um, of uh, substance for the building of the temple. And he says, and David says to God, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? First Chronicles 29:14. For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. So sometimes we realize that God blesses above and beyond our, our dreams and realize that we don't deserve those blessings. And we humbly thank God for those. So if we are humble, God will give us the ability to do the work and give us the resources to do the work. We need to know who we are. We need to honor our calling. If we don't, we dishonor his name and we dishonor God's calling. And we certainly don't want to do that. And many human beings are dishonoring their own identity and so doing dishonor God. It's uh, commonplace, and I know in my elementary school years ago, and uh, there were a student or two every once in a while who would play the class clown. They played foolishly. They were co- comedic. Uh, everyone would laugh at them. Uh, but they, what they were doing were playing the fool. They were foolish, and they were devaluing their very identity of who they were. And we know we've heard sermonettes on honoring your name, so you honor your family name. If you do something foolish, you dishonor the family, dishonor the name. And that's called devaluing your identity. You don't want to do that. Mr. Wahavich has written, as you know, the articles in Tomorrow's World magazine on marijuana. Uh, we now have a new booklet, Marijuana, What They Aren't Telling You. Uh, Mr. Wahavich is, uh, says this in the booklet. By the way, the uh, semi-annual letter that uh, Mr. Weston wrote, you should be receiving, I presume, next week or a week or two. And uh, that's offering the booklet, uh, Marijuana, What They Aren't Telling You. Now, you, that will be automatically sent to all of our brethren, and, of course, we have the card, do not send this card back, and uh, Mrs. Lyons down here gets dozens of cards that say do not pass it. Anyway, at at, the mail processing, uh, record information services. But what Mr. Wojovich wrote here in the booklet, and uh, of course you've read it in the Tomorrow's World magazine, I hope you're his series on marijuana. He says, people who have taken large doses of marijuana may experience an acute psychosis which includes hallucinations, delusions, and a loss of the sense of personal identity. So even marijuana, not only can you play the fool and lose your identity, but drug abuse can affect your personal identity. And a loss of the sense of personal identity These unpleasant but temporary reactions are distinct from longer-lasting psychotic disorders, such as schizophrenia. And there, that's double identity, sometimes, uh, demon possession. That may be associated with the use of marijuana in vulnerable individuals. He's quoting that from the National Institute of Drug Abuse. 
So how do you view your name and view yourself? How do you describe yourself? There are common axioms or poetic expressions out here in the Weddington High School bulletin board. I notice there are some very interesting sayings. One of the sayings is, love who you are. Who are you? Love who you are. Is that okay? Well, it's okay if you're a child of God. I hope you do love who you are. If you're a repentant, if you are a sinner, you don't love the fact that you are a practicing sinner. You don't love that. You have to repent in order to love yourself as a repentant sinner. So you have to ask the question, who are you? Yes, you can love who you are if you are a repentant sinner, if you are a child of God. So you have to respect your calling and the new man that you became when you came up out of the water of baptism. And you must love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, ask yourself the question, do you love yourself more than your neighbor? Well, that's not going along with the commandment. That's not obeying the commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you love yourself more than your neighbor, are you really keeping the second commandment? Are you perhaps more selfish? When Jesus told us in Matthew 5, verse 44, I say unto you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. So yes, love who you are. Respect your calling. Honor your calling. There's another saying out here on the Weddington High School bulletin board. Stay true to yourself. Well, is that a good saying? Well, it's all right if you understand who the self is and you're not staying true to selfish human nature, but you're staying true to the truth of your calling. Yes, stay true to your calling. Stay true to yourself in your calling. But, as it says in Galatians 6 and verse 3, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, being true to his nothing self, he deceives himself. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 18, I'll just mention it. Let no one deceive himself. So never compromise with the truth. Stay true to the truth. And denying one's identity, of course, is something that a converted Christian will not do because you know who you are, you know your calling, and you're going to honor that identity, and you're going to honor that calling. We had a uh, Tomorrow's World Now live program this last uh, Thursday at 3 o'clock. How many of you actually saw the program Tomorrow's World Now? I mean, okay, Uh, just very few. Um, But you can always see it. It's on archive, so you just uh, go to our website and uh, check on Tomorrow's World Live. Uh, 
Mr. Gerald Weston, Mr. Stuart Wahovich were the uh, commentators hosted by Mr. Jonathan McNair. And it was titled, A Christian's Response to the Transgender Movement. And I wrote a comment down that uh, Mr. Wahovich said. I write down quotable quotes, as you know, like just QQ. Mr. Wahovich, in describing the confusion of identity, transgender identity, said this that participants and supporters of transgender identity are, quote, denying biological reality with psychological desire, end of quote. Denying biological reality with psychological desire. So you do not want to have a confused identity. And it's sad that so many of these individuals confuse their identity and are denying biological reality because God made them male and female. I won't turn there, but Mark 10 and verse 6. From the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Matthew 19 and verse 4. Have you not read, he, he who made them at the beginning made them male and female. Well, God wants you to know who you are, and he expects you to fulfill his calling. Now, there's another confusion with identity, and that's role versus identity. For example, a treasurer of a large corporation thinks that that's who he is. He is the treasurer of that corporation, but then he retires, and he no longer has that office, and he sometimes begins to feel depressed. This, this happens on occasion. I don't know what the statistics are on it, but it's confusing role with identity. He confuses his role with his personal character, his values, his abilities, and who he really is and his identity. And then there's on the national level. Nations lose their identity. Mr. Weston wrote The Danger of Social Media and uh, in his article in Tomorrow's World uh, magazine. He said that one of the great dangers of social media is the loss of free speech. Young millennials parrot back ideas of the Internet, ideas they learn from socialist university professors. This has caused a backlash from individuals who see their countries losing, losing their identities and historic values. So even what was established as a biblical moral nation, the United States and its colonies, no longer it has crossed the line of more than 50% not keeping biblical values. They're rejecting biblical values. We crossed over the line. And that was start, at least in same-sex marriage that happened back in 2011 when the majority of Americans supported same-sex marriage and uh, fewer rejected it according to biblical grounds. And then, of course, the ten lost tribes. We know the ten tribes of Israel failed to fulfill their mission that God gave in Deuteronomy, the sixth chapter. So they lost their identity. So 
you don't want to lose your identity. You don't want to devalue your identity because in that case you dishonor God and you dishonor your calling. Now, how does the Bible describe true Christians? Your calling is, includes also an awareness of your identity. Know who you are. We're going to quickly cover uh, a dozen different descriptors of the Bible of true Christians. And as when I asked my wife, who are you? She said, a child of God. She had in her consciousness that awareness of her calling. And there are dozens, but we'll just quickly go over about a dozen descriptors of true Christians. And think, is this what I am? Have I internalized this uh, calling of God? How do you strive true Christians? Well, let's quickly go. These are some are all common. You know them, but let's review and think, are you the salt of the earth? That's number one. I don't know if I'll number these or not, but Matthew 5, uh, verses 13 and 14. All common. We know these scriptures, but yet, have we internalized them? Do we identify with them? Do we think of ourselves as projecting these characteristics? Matthew 5, verse 13 and 14. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? But it is then good for nothing, but it shall be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You've heard sermonettes on salt, how it preserves, how it adds spice and taste to, to food. It's also a preservative. So you are the salt of the earth. Are you salty? Number one. Number two. You are the light of the world. Verse 14. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do, a, do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. That's, the, of course, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who's my neighbor? A neighbor is anyone who is in need, and you can supply that need. That is a godly need, because not, not an ungodly need. So you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. We've been called to set a right example. Our sevenfold mission given by Dr. Meredith, mission number four, be examples to the church of God and the world of Christ's way of life. So we are the light of the world. Can we change the world? Uh, just watching, uh, I read the Wall Street Journal uh, comic strip. It's actually a cartoon uh, in the first section of the Wall Street Journal every day. And the one the other day, uh, last Thursday, that's called Salt and Pepper, just a one little box cartoon. It's a valedictorian uh, giving a graduation address, and she says, quote, Your challenge is to change the world before it changes you. End of quote. Well, can you change the world? You can't change the world on a large scale. You can influence individuals and turn many to righteousness, and calls that's what part of our mission is, is to turn many to righteousness, as we hear in Daniel 12 and verse 3. And we are doing that. And that's why some of you have come into the God's church, the body of Christ, because you have been turned to righteousness. 
so we can change someone. But the, the but it's a good focus for uh, carnal people. Yes, you don't want the world to change you. Romans 12, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Be not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Yes, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. John 15. Let's go to another descriptor of true Christians. John 15, verse 1. Verse 5. John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. You are the branches. You are attached to the vine. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing, that is, do nothing of lasting value. So who else are you? You are a branch attached to the vine, Jesus Christ. In verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So you are a branch that should be bearing much fruit. 1 Corinthians 3, that was uh, number 3, or a branch, number 4. 1 Corinthians, the third chapter. 1 Corinthians 3. There are many more than we'll cover today, but at least we'll cover about a dozen of them quickly. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 16. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? You are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple You are. What an awesome responsibility and yet a blessing that God has called us that we will be bearing fruit as the temple of God. We will be bearing the fruits of God's Holy Spirit. And you know the fruits of God's Spirit, Galatians 5.22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Oh, you are the temple of God, the Second Corinthians 6 and verse 16 reiterates that. Second Corinthians 6, verse 16. And what argument has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. So number four. You're the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians 12th chapter, verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27. Who are you? Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. So you're the very body of Christ. Of course, Christ is the head. Mr. Armstrong, in his book, Mystery of the Ages, page 230, writes this. So once again, what and why is the church? The church is the called out, begotten children of God, called out from this world. 
It is the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.27, Ephesians 1.23. It is the spiritual organism that shall be the bride of Christ after his resurrection to immortality. Then it shall be married to Christ. It is the spiritual temple to which Christ shall come at his second appearing, Ephesians 2.21. So, number five, we're the body of Christ. Number six, we are the bride of Christ. And, of course, we, as a part of the church of God, we submit to God's government. And we also love one another as the very body of Christ. Turn to uh, Revelation, the 19th chapter. Revelation 19. Again, you're familiar with these scriptures, but it's a wonderful calling that we are to be the bride of Christ. We're going to be the wife of Christ. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, Revelation 19.7, and his wife has made herself ready. That's part of our mission. That's part of our calling, to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for the second coming of Christ. His wife has made herself ready. So number five, we're the body of Christ. Number six, we're the bride of Christ. Number seven, 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 17. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 17. He's quoting, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. So again, that's part of our calling and identity. Verse 18. 2 Corinthians 6, verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So he's telling us to stay away from worldly ways, from idolatry. We need to always honor our Heavenly Father. And, of course, Ephesians 3, 14. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. We've quoted that recently. Ephesians 3, verses 14 and 15. So God is a family. Who and what is God? Elohim. It's two people, two persons, a family. Right now it's God the Father and God the Son. So number seven, we are sons and daughters of the Almighty. Second Corinthians 5 and uh, verse 20. Even though, generally speaking, of the ministry, uh, we still as individuals can be ambassadors for Christ. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We have that as part of our hymnal. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. We are Ambassadors of a way of life, we capture true values, we show people love, we show them respect, we show them kindness and service, and we have that attitude of service. How did the Apostle Paul act as an ambassador of Christ? Well, 
Second Corinthians, uh, First Corinthians nine. I want to make sure I got this correctly. Nine twenty-one. Now, First Corinthians nine. And this is how we can be ambassadors for Christ. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 21. To those who are without law, as without law, not being without law to God, but under law toward Christ, that I may win those that are without the law. Verse 22, 1 Corinthians 9. To the weak I became as weak, that I might win the weak. You know, you, you, when you talk with people, well, I've had that problem too. I, I was an alcoholic at one time, not my personally, uh, but you might, if you were that way and you're trying to help someone, you may, they may be able to identify with you because you had that problem. You're not so high and mighty because God is called the weak of the world and you can help someone who is weak and you tell them, I had that problem too, but I repented, I fasted, and God helped me and He helped Help me. I was weak at one time. To the weak, I became as weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So we can be ambassadors for Christ and uh, serve and identify with their problems and try to help them and bring them to the throne of grace where they might get that help, that grace and, and mercy to help in time of need. So that was number eight, ambassadors for Christ. Number nine, we are servants of Christ. Turn to Matthew 20 and all those uh, lectures on leadership and service. Always cite this section of Matthew 20, verse 25. Matthew 20, 25. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And when the Apostle Paul and his letters, and uh, even James or Peter says he's a servant of Christ, the Greek word is doulos, meaning a bond servant, a slave. So he goes on to say, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So number nine, we have to be servants of Jesus Christ. And our mission statement number five, learn and practice servant leadership in all our dealings with others. All right, let's go on to number ten. Uh, Romans, the first chapter, Romans 10. Who are you and how do you identify yourself? We're reading descriptions of true Christians. Does this apply to you? Can you say, yes, I am a servant of Christ. I am a bond servant of Christ. I am a son or a daughter of the Almighty. Romans 1 and verse 7. To all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, anyone who is God's Holy Spirit, according to biblical language, is a saint, one who is set apart, a holy one. 
And of course it said in Leviticus, Be holy as I am holy. And the Apostle Peter quoted that for New Testament Christians. Be holy because I am holy, God says. If you have God's Holy Spirit, you are a saint. We had a sermon on that uh, called uh, uh, Who Are the Saints of God? So again, you can uh, Google that on your smartphone and a Living Church of God sermon, Who Are the Saints? And it will hopefully pop up on your smartphone. So yes, we're called to be saints. Number 11 is we are disciples of Christ. Turn to John the 8th chapter. John the 8th chapter. John 8, verse 31. John 8, 31. And Jesus said to those Jews who believed him. So apparently there were some Jews who were following him around. They wanted to learn from him. He said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. We are Christ's disciples. We are dedicated to following his example. We are dedicated to learn from him and from his instruction and his commandments. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Yes, we must. Uh, was it was it you? become truth? Was that you? No, it was not. Okay. Someone uh, recently in uh, one of the uh, a sermon or someone said, I was talking about truth and said, well, we must become truth. Um, I guess not this truth. Truth is already truth over here, truth of Menjador. Uh, but we must become love as well. I mentioned that in the sermon on God's master plan. So, yes, we are Christ's disciples. What is a disciple? a student, a learner. And we must continue to study. We must continue to learn from God's Word. Never stop learning from God's truth. You, Some young people believe they, they know everything. <laughs> uh, they don't know everything. And uh, as you, you grow older, you realize uh, what you know and what you don't know. So he said, as I read earlier, John 15, 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. So we are kings and priests in training, and we have a calling. We must learn. I mentioned the comic strip. I follow Dennis the Menace, uh, the cartoonist uh, for Dennis the Menace. Uh, Marcus Hamilton just lives uh, four doors uh, down from us there in Mint Hill. So I've gotten to talk to him, and a uh, really fine man, and uh, I might just, uh, as an aside, uh, we received a, 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 an envelope addressed to Mr. Hamilton uh, at our home, and I took it to him later, and he said, well, these were ideas from people sent to their headquarters in California, so they sent ideas, and if his idea is accepted, Marcus Hamilton will draw the uh, cartoon, and they'll get three or $400 for their suggestion. Well, this one particular cartoon on last Thursday on Dennis the Menace, he uh, is coming home from school, has his backpack, and uh, his mother uh, says to him, what did you learn in school today? Dennis says, not enough. They expect me to go back tomorrow. So (laughs) So we will keep learning until 
end of time. And, uh, of course, I hope you read uh, those of you who are on uh, the Charlotte uh, email list, Mr. Michael DeSimone's uh, Friday Night Notes. Uh, he wrote this last evening concerning the New Living Education Program. Quote, I want to strongly encourage each of us to sign up for and take the classes provided. It's free. It is one major part we can play in the work by preparing for greater service in God's church, by preparing for greater service in God's kingdom, by getting behind the initiative God's church is putting forth. We are Christ's disciples and his students. So that was from uh, that, that was my comment there. Uh, but Mr. D. Simone's encouraging all of us uh, when the first uh, class is made available in August, a living uh, education program to sign up for those classes. So we are Christ's students. We are training to be kings and priests. We are training for the kingdom. Number 12 coming up. Number 11 was disciples of Christ. True Christians, Acts 11, are also called Christians. Acts, the 12th chapter. And, of course, professing Christianity is being attacked all over the world. And uh, many are standing up for what they believe. Will you stand up for your belief? Stand up for who you are and your calling? Acts, the 11th chapter. Acts 11 and verse 26. And when he had found them, he brought them to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Someone told me when I mentioned that in a previous sermon, and I was not there, but at Panama City, he said that Dr. Meredith thundered out at Panama City who we should be and what we should be. I am a Christian. And I hope we can say that with genuine humility and with conviction and dedication. That you know, yes, you have been bought by a price, the greatest price ever been paid. You are a genuine Christian. And you are not being deceived by yourself. So we are true Christians. And let's always remember that and we reflect that in our behavior and our attitude as we live our lives daily. And, of course, we are the bride of Christ, which I already mentioned earlier. So that's 12 descriptors of true Christians. How do you identify with each of them or any of them? True Christians are called the salt of the earth, the light of the world, branches of the true vine, the temple of God, the body of Christ sons and daughters of the Almighty, ambassadors for Christ, servants of Christ, the saints of God, disciples of Christ, the bride of Christ, and genuine Christians. Which one of these characteristics do you identify with? I hope you identify with all of them. But you might select one of them and try concentrating on it for one week and then concentrate on another characteristic the next week. Turn to Colossians, the third chapter. Colossians, the third chapter. 
So we need to know who we are. We must remember who we are. We must honor our calling. We must honor our Father in Heaven. We must honor our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ. Colossians 3 and verse 12. The subhead is the character of the new man. Colossians 3 verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. If any of, any of you are holding a grudge, you need to pray for your enemies, as Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 44 on, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. I've mentioned this before, but uh, Dr. Meyer and his, um, his uh, not hospitals, but uh, his uh, clinics across the country wrote the book, Don't Let Jerks Get the Best of You. And he dealt, deals with people who've had depression, for years and years, and he gives the example of one who had been abused victim. And he said, once that person forgave the abuser, the serotonin began to be developed in his mind, and he recovered from his depression. That's from, don't let jerks get the best of you. So you forgive those. And he just says right here, So even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So you want to have the new man. And of course, he continues, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you, richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And verse 17, Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. It affects you every second of every day, of every week, of every month, of every year, that you are submitting yourself to the will of God, you're striving to recapture those true values. Whether it's brushing your teeth, you're wanting to honor God because you are the temple of God. Your spirit and body are owned by Him. He's paid for you, as it says in 1 Corinthians 6, chapter, verses 19 and 20. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are His. So we want to honor God and honor the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by giving thanks to God the Father by Him. The remaining part of the sermon, I'm just going to quickly give you four action points. How can you fulfill your calling and honor your identity? Number one is repent. We already mentioned that earlier. Here was the repentant sinner, the one in Luke, the 18th chapter, who said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
And Jesus said, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself shall be exalted. Turn to 1 John in the first chapter. So we must always have a teachable attitude until the return of Jesus Christ. We must be have the ability to repent always, right up until the time Christ comes. Otherwise, you don't want to seal as a part of character incorrigibly evil or the incorrigibly wicked. You need to be always repentant. First John 1 and verse 9, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And verse 7, If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ His Son cleanses us from all sins. He's writing to Christians. We, of course, he says we have an advocate with, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, chapter 2 and verse 1. We have a great high priest. He's our lawyer, our advocate. He intercedes for us. We thank God as long as we have a repentant attitude. And we realize that we have to overcome human nature and realize, yes, you still have human nature. The Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am, who shall save me from the body of this death. I thank God that it shall be through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we know that the process that we're overcoming, we're replacing human nature with divine nature as we grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ. So we must overcome. It says in Psalm 39.5, Yes, certainly every man in his best state. What is human being? What is human nature like? Psalm 39.5, Every man at his best state is but vapor, or as the King James has it, is altogether vanity. Natural humanity, natural human, uh, human nature is vanity, and like vapor. Uh, I won't turn there, but, but uh, God said about Jacob at one time, Isaiah 14, 41-14, Fear not, you worm Jacob. So uh, Jacob was put down by God as being a worm. Of course, uh, we, we are not like, as I said before, Winston Churchill, glow, a glowworm. Uh, we, are gotten, we are God's begotten children, as uh, Dr. Murray said. We are the church of the forgiven. And we realize we are special. And actually, Isaiah goes on to encourage worm Jacob by saying, I can't find it here. Where did I just lose it? Oh. You men of Israel, I will help you, says the Lord, and your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. So uh, while he said he was a, a worm, he said, I still will help you. He gave them that encouragement. Number one. An action point is to repent. Number two is to persevere. Matthew 24, verse 13. But he who endures to the end shall be saved. And we had Mr. Dumas' sermonette, Run your race with endurance. As he pointed out, only 20% of those who committed themselves to the 2,200-mile Appalachian Trail, uh, only 20% persevered to the end. 
And uh, I wrote down a quotable quote from the sermonette by Mr. Dumas. Quote, actively find the beauty in our Christian calling now. End of quote. Actively find the beauty in our Christian calling now. And we know what our calling is, is to persevere. Revelation, the third chapter. Turn there. Revelation 3 and uh, verse 10. Revelation 3, verse 10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Mr. Mr. Weston, in the uh, next May-June Living Church News, which you should be getting soon if you haven't already, on his article, Kings and Mountains, said, But one must keep everything in perspective. We should never lose sight of the big picture. So again, we need to persevere. And as Dr. Meredith and Mr. Weston keep encouraging us, keep the big picture in view. Number two, persevere. Number three is to serve. We already read Matthew 20, verse 26. Whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. But we need to have that serving attitude, and we're thankful for so many of you here in the Charlotte congregation that are servants. You have that serving attitude. It takes teamwork, as we read in Dr. Douglas Winnell's bulletin commentary. It's in our church bulletin today on teamwork. Skills that promote teamwork. Effective team players appreciate that a team is made up of individuals with different talents and abilities who can make unique contributions to the team, 1 Corinthians 12.12. They know the main priority is to work together smoothly to achieve a goal while showing love to one another, Ephesians 4.16. In summary, Dr. Douglas O'Neill writes, Good team players have learned how to love their neighbors. Let's all strive to develop that important skills so we can do God's work effectively. Let's strive to develop those important skills so we can do God's work effectively. And that's action point number four, do God's work. Action point number three was serve. So why have we been called? We've been called to fulfill the Great Commission of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. We've been called to fulfill the commission of Mark 16 and verse 15. And we are very encouraging more recently, brethren, to uh, actually we're going to start doing the television subtitling in Dutch, German, and Portuguese. So they'll, they'll be uploaded on those particular websites. So the gospel is going out into all the world. Keep praying for more open doors. But we're happy about uh, those television uh, languages going out, and uh, that will be starting fairly soon. And also we do have... Television, by the way, in Goa, India. So uh, those of you who are going to Goa, hopefully you'll see the telecast when you get to Goa. So we are now nearing the second coming of Christ. We have the privilege and responsibility to prepare the world, the church, and ourselves for the coming kingdom. We need to maintain a repentant and teachable attitude. We need to persevere and never give up. 
We need to actively serve, help, care, and cooperate, and do God's work. We have an awesome privilege as being members of the body of Christ. We've been called for a wonderful purpose, to do God's work, to train as kings and priests, to grow in godly character, and eventually be born into God's royal family as the bride of Christ. Turn to Revelation 17:14. Revelation 17:14. It's talking about after the wedding with Christ on the Sea of Glass, and he comes back to fight all the armies. We will ride on horses with him. And uh, talks about these armies of the world making war with him. Revelation 17, verse 14. These will make war with the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And notice this. And those who are with him are called, chosen, and faithful. That's our calling, brethren. We need to be faithful to God's calling. Remember, it told us in Matthew 20, uh, verse 16, that many are called, but few are chosen. And he said in John 15, You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and bring forth fruit, and that fruit should remain. So we, brethren, as a body of Christ, have been called to bring forth fruit, to fulfill the Great Commission, and to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We've been chosen for a great purpose. We've had a great calling. Philippians 3, verse 14. You'll turn there. Philippians 3, and verse 14. Philippians 3, 14. The Apostle Paul says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The King James Version I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, brethren, we've had an awesome spiritual calling and spiritual identity. Mr. Weston gave a sermon on the Charlotte Family Weekend, December 23, 2017. It was titled, a long title, 25 Years Keeping God's Word and Not Denying His Name. That's taken from Revelation 3, of course, and, and verse 8. Mr. Weston said this in his sermon. We must never forget the reason that we are here. People forget the reason for their calling and place of their calling. So let us go forward. Let us go forward boldly and courageously and never forget why we are here and why God called us. Never forget why we are here and why God called us. Brethren, thank God for his glorious calling and for his giving us an identity as his children. Always remember who you are and fulfill your calling to the very end.